Good morning. It is just about two minutes past nine on Monday, November 2nd, and this is Community Pulse, your local report on the coronavirus pandemic in mid-Missouri. You can catch Community Pulse Mondays and Wednesdays at 9 a.m. on KOPN, and all episodes can be found online at kopn.org and on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Today on Community Pulse, our host, Dr. Elizabeth Alleman, will cover a variety of topics, voting options, household transmission, long-term COVID symptoms, and more. Dr. Elizabeth Alleman is a local family physician and host of Your Health Matters here on KOPN. She joins us via phone this morning. Good morning, Dr. Alleman. Good morning, Mallory. It's so good to hear your voice and to be on the air at KOPN. Yes. And good morning to everybody out there. I think that um, a lot of us are thinking about the election. It's hard to listen to the news and not have people talk about it. And we're going to talk about it briefly, and then we're going to move on. So I just want everybody to know that you can vote today um, as a walk-in absentee ballot um, through at, at the clerk's office until 5 p.m. tonight. So you can go in person. They have a tent set up on the sidewalk. They are doing their very best to try to give people safe options for social distancing. You will need an ID. And a reason why you are uh, wanting to vote absentee and the reasons that um, they will consider acceptable are listed on the website, um, which is vote.boonmo.org. Um, and then tomorrow, you can vote in person at your polling place or at the Boone County <coughs> Government Center between 6 a.m. and 7 p.m. And then I think a lot of people are trying to figure out how to deal with the stresses of waiting for the results. And I just want to remind everybody that although um, tomorrow may be very stressful, especially once the results start coming in or they don't come in completely, Today is not stressful in that way, and so if we could all just stay in the moment, that will help us deal with stress. So it's a sunny, beautiful day, as you said, and if people can get outside for a minute, that can help bring our stress hormone levels down, and um, there will be um, challenges enough tomorrow, so there's no reason to borrow from tomorrow. Yes, and if tomorrow people do need to tune into the election results, and that's something that you want to do. KOPN is having the Democracy Now! special live coverage from 8 p.m. until 11 p.m. Um, and they're bringing on a lot of activists, advocates, grassroots leaders. Um, so it should be some different perspectives that won't be covered on a lot of the other media outlets that might be available. So that might be a good option for some people. Yeah, and I also want to say that if you are a person who is finding yourself with a special circumstance, a challenge for your inability to vote, you just got diagnosed with COVID, you're in quarantine because you were exposed, you um, asked for a mail-in ballot and you have it and you didn't mail it and it's too late, you are so welcome to call the clerk's office and ask them um, to review your options. There, there are likely more options. And you know, I hear they're doing home visits for people who are quarantined. So do not, um, do not despair. Uh, call and ask for help. Yes. And when I voted just a few days ago, um, the lines were pretty long for the outdoor voting option at the clerk's office. Uh, but it mm-hmm. took it was very quick. 
Uh, there are probably 20, 25 people ahead of me in line, and it probably only took about 20 minutes. So if you, you go and you see a line and you're <laughs> short on time, um, it's still worth it to, to stand there and um, budget as much time as you can, of course, but it did go pretty fast. Okay, yeah, so let us get into uh, updates on the COVID situation in Boone County. So in the last little bit, yesterday we had uh, 56 cases. It was a Sunday. And on Saturday, the 31st, Halloween, 118 cases. Um, uh, Local hospitals are beginning to fill up. Um, I shouldn't say that. More and more people are being documented as having COVID and in the hospital. So there are 99 uh, people in hospital in Boone County who have a uh, positive COVID uh, test. And 25 of those people are in intensive care units and 18 of them are on the ventilator. And those numbers are slowly increasing as are our case numbers. Um, There was a disturbing report on uh, KRCG that... um, Health department directors from across Missouri are walking away from their jobs after many of them are threatened, were threatened and harassed over actions they've taken to curb coronavirus. So um, at least a dozen county health department directors have vacated their jobs since March. Wow. That's sobering. And um, I am wishing all the remaining ones well and uh, deep gratitude for their service. And a lot of us are having really big feelings and strong opinions about what should and should not happen. And let's just be very clear that um, putting political pressure on people should not cross the borders to putting personal pressure on people. Uh, One woman they interviewed um, uh, decided to quit after her children, her school-age children, were threatened. So um, it it is perfectly legitimate in a democracy to have People, our elected officials feel uh, politically uh, threatened, but not to feel personally or have their families be threatened. Mm-hmm. I think that that is a bright line that I hope that we will all um, respect. Yes. So then I wanted to talk a little bit on how people are getting uh, COVID. Um, let me switch over to a... Um, So the CDCs, the Center for Disease Control in the United States, their Morbidity and Mortality Weekly Report, published a result of a survey that that is ongoing, I think, um, looking at transmission of SARS-CoV infections in households. And they are looking at two specific places in Tennessee and Wisconsin. And they started looking in April and continued through September. And they um, looked at... Um, index patients were defined as the first household member with COVID-19 compatible symptoms who received a positive uh, PCR test, a nasal swab, and who lived with at least one other household members. And so they enrolled those people and they began, they taught them how to take a daily symptom diary and to daily self-collect specimens either from their nose or their saliva uh, for 14 days. And they analyzed the first seven days of them, and they had 101 index cases and 191 household contacts. Um, and they, none of them had uh, 
symptoms. Let's see, none of the household contacts had symptoms when they enrolled them. And, um, but let's see, later, 102 of those 191 household contacts uh, had SARS-CoV-2 detected in either nasal or saliva specimens during the follow-up for a secondary infection rate of 53%. So what that means is that um, in a household where one person tests positive and has symptoms, um, 53% of their household contacts ended up testing positive, and there was no difference between regarding the age of the index patient or the other household members. So there's been some question about, especially with regards to trying to make decisions about opening up schools, about whether children are less likely to take this to their um, households. Are you still there, Mallory? Yep, I can still hear you. Okay. There's some beeping noise going on behind me, and I wasn't sure whether that's... Nope, you're good. Um, Okay. So... uh... Um, and so, and 75% of those cases of those 53% of people who turned positive because of a household member, 75% of those happened in the first five days of the, um, index patient's illness. And, um, so there's this, it's sort of in, in, the conclusion came that we, um, that we really need to respond a little bit quickly, more quickly, and that's concerning if we, if our health departments are underfunded and um, being left leaderless with people resigning. Um, and so, the Centers for Disease Control is recommending that persons who suspect that they might have COVID-19 should isolate and stay at home and use a separate bedroom and bathroom if feasible. And the isolation should begin before seeking testing and before test results become available because delaying isolation and confirmation of infection could miss an opportunity to reduce transmission to others. So this is not easy. We are asking people to do hard things. And many people are thinking about, oh, well, if something happens, we'll just all, quote, unquote, isolate or quarantine together. And that is not, that's, that's a, an oxymoron. You cannot isolate together. Um, that does not mean that there aren't times when every when two people who already know they're positive might end up isolating together. But often I hear people say, oh, yeah, we're quarantining. And what they mean is that the person who was exposed is not going out of the house. But there is plenty of household interaction. And then other people are going out of the house because they are, quote, unquote, quarantining together. And yet, anyway, it gets very... Um, complicated trying to to sort out how to think about this if people are still interacting with each other. And um, in general, we are uh, treating quarantine and isolation as if they are um, uh, um, as as voluntary. So, um, and that they're recommending that all household members, including the index patients, should wear a mask. And this is something that is sort of startling, the idea that we would actually recommend that people wear a mask in their own homes. And yes, we would if we had a documented case in the home. And they're recommending that even if you have um, a specific suspicion. And that is hard to know where that line is drawn. Like, So if we're encouraging people to get tested, even with um, uh, 
minor symptoms that we think are low risk of being actually COVID? At what point do they start to isolate and segregate and, and um, stay away from other people even in their own households and that we're asking people to do difficult things. And the Centers for Disease Control is now asking that if you think you might have COVID, that you would begin your isolation from the other members of your household and wear a mask at home um, even uh, before you have gotten a test. Um, and that uh, if we're trying to really respond as a community, we would need to um, begin detecting infections earlier. Um, of the household contacts, there's 53% of people who are household contacts who turn positive. Most of them were, over half of them were asymptomatic when their test turned positive. So we, um, this is a really challenging disease in that people can be transmitting it without symptoms. And actually, maybe most people who transmit it are without symptoms. So, um, yeah, that's what I have to say about that. Do you have questions about that, Mallory? Did I say it clearly? Um, I think you said it as clearly as can be <laughs> it's a complicated um topic and it's it's a complicated um you know everyone's situation is so different so you know I'm trying to think about like myself what would I do in that situation and family and friends and when there are children involved and it just I can't imagine navigating those decisions and and these best practices alone you know so I guess my question for you is just what what should people be, someone who finds themselves in this situation, um, what resources should they be tapping into to make sure that they are doing the best practices that are supported oh, by the best research that we have? That's a beautiful question. Yeah. So um, if people have a health provider themselves, they could call that person. And and even before that, is how do you know whether you're a person in this situation? It's all very confusing, mm -hmm. and I, I understand that. Um, the health, the health department would be a, an opportunity, and uh, there are various uh, resources online. And I have not looked for ones that are the simplest and the most clear, but I will do that and send you a link today. So we'll get that up. Awesome. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the next study I wanted to talk about was um, people looking at um, uh, in. Uh, SARS-CoV-2 infection, exposure risk, and mental health among a cohort of essential retail workers in the United States. So this is a pretty small study. And so how um, related it is, how transferable it is to other people, it's hard to know. So in May, at a single grocery retail store in Massachusetts, uh, they assessed workers' personal occupational history and perception of COVID-19 by questionnaire. And then they swabbed their noses and they gave them mental health uh, screening uh, tools, surveys. And so they looked at 104 workers that they tested. 20% of them had uh, were positive for uh, PCR. So it's in Massachusetts in May. So I think they were really surprised. Um, and the employees who had direct customer exposure were five times as likely to be positive as those who did not have direct customer exposure. And um, the prevalence of anxiety was 24% and depression was 8% uh, 
and after they adjusted for other co-founders, those able to practice social distancing consistently at work had um, about a third the, the risk of anxiety and depression. So um, what I am taking from this study is our grocery store workers are heroes. We've kind of always known that. They keep us eating. They are the ones that have to interact with us directly are more likely to get infected and more likely to also be depressed or anxious. And so I am taking this as an opportunity to um, up my game with kindness and social distancing when I in, in, uh, enter a retail um, establishment and hoping that other people will do the same. Questions about that one, Mallory? I don't think so. I think you covered that one well, and and I think it's a good point. I mean, um, it's not just the the actual COVID <laughs> that's that those symptoms, but also the stress and anxiety of constantly having to redefine your boundaries and understand um, what that inter- in person interaction looks like at work um, and the implications yeah, for your and lives. Yeah, and I know that, again, this is another thing that people have really strong opinions about, about whether or not they should wear a mask. And that has gotten to be almost a way of identifying yourself as a person who believes other things that might be a, a, a signaling um, uh, political party affiliation and who you're going to vote for, have already voted for, and what you think we should do about schools, and et cetera. And um, one of the things that uh, frontline retail workers are tasked to do is to encourage people or remind people or to tell people that they would like for them to wear a mask. And I think that some of those interactions are tense and difficult. And I would love for us to find a different setting to work those conversations out rather than with our um, retail uh, service workers who are trying their hardest to make a living. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And I've, I know people who rightfully so will go up to a retail worker if they see someone who's not wearing a mask in the city of Columbia and say, there's a mask ordinance. Can you please try and enforce it? And um, just understanding that that can also be a stressful dynamic for that retail worker as all and to treat it with as much compassion as you say, as you can. Right. Yeah. And and what we know is that the manager who is, is less likely to be uh, have public contact is less likely to be stressed and um, less likely to get infected. So maybe that's the person to talk to. Mm-hmm. With so much compassion for retail managers as well. Okay, the next thing I wanted to talk about with healthcare workers and their risk of getting COVID, this is a different study and it was designed by different people and got different answers. And I can't I have not figured out any way to compare that. So I'm not trying to say that one group is suffering or working harder than another. This is another study. They were looking at the risk of hospital admission with coronavirus 2019 healthcare workers in their households. And this was done in Scotland. And what they did was they recruited 158,000 healthcare workers. <clears throat> Most of them being patient-facing, so 58%, and uh, 229,000, 230,000 of their household members. Um, And they were looking at the risk of admission due to COVID-19. 
Um, so people who are healthcare workers and they don't actually have patient contact um, and their households, their risk of getting COVID was about the same as the, as the background population. But people, uh, healthcare workers who and their household members, if they have patient-facing healthcare, um, were at higher risk, uh, about 3.3 times as likely to get um, COVID, and their household members were about one and a half times, one and three quarters times. And then they looked at a subdivision of patients who are if patient-facing healthcare workers, and of those who were quote, front door versus intensive care um, and the non-intensive aerosol-generating settings and uh, found that the front door roles were at higher risk, about twice as likely. So I think they're trying to look at people like me and my staff who um, greet people as they come in, see people in an office, um, see people in the hospital, in waiting rooms, in um, regular uh uh, patient rooms compared to people who work in intensive care units or in places where we know we're doing high-risk um, stuff. And, and it looks like the people who are doing run-of-the-mill front-door stuff are more likely than the, than the healthcare workers who are uh, working in the intensive care unit, those higher-risk places. And um, I'll bet that when we break it down, it's probably going to have to do with the quality of the uh, PPE and the sense that you're at risk and so the sense that people are taking extra precautions. And um, this is for a variety of healthcare workers, right? This is not just for healthcare workers who are specifically treating patients with COVID. Right. Okay. Yep. And, um, yeah. So what we it reinforces that our healthcare workers are also at increased risk um, of uh, getting uh, COVID-19 if they actually interact with patients, and that people who do things that don't interact with patients, like they work in laboratories or um, X-ray departments, and uh, there are many healthcare workers who don't actually see patients, um, and they are at the same risk as the background. Um, of the population. So then I wanted to spend just a little bit of time, we don't have a long time, um, talking about um, long COVID. So this, um, I want to look at, and this is a pre-publication, um, uh, pre-print publication. So this is more and more um, research articles get put online before they have been through the um, uh, peer review process. So this has not been peer reviewed. And so it's not been published. I mean, it's not been printed. But these people were looking at a prospective observational cohort study of COVID-19 symptoms in a subset of 4,182 users of a COVID symptom study app. So there are in different countries, and there may be some in the United States. I'm uh, participating in a research uh, study where I'm doing it, where there are apps you put on your phone and you, or you go to a website and you um, report your symptoms every day that might be COVID-19. Um, and uh, they were looking at people who were, had turned positive 
and they were looking at a subset of them who had reported that they felt well before they got sick. And then they wanted to look at how long they felt sick, and they were looking at uh, people who had symptoms more than 28 days compared to people who had symptoms less than 10 days because we're looking at this long COVID. And what they noticed was that um, uh, 13% met the criteria for having it for 20 days. And their median duration was 41 days. Uh, Four and a half were sick for 56 days and 2% had it for over 90 days. And age was associated with long COVID. So the older you were, the more likely you were to get COVID. Um, women were a little bit more likely. And asthma was the only unique pre-existing condition, which was uh, providing a, a, an, an assessment, a, an association. So we are, tr- we are now starting to look at who gets long COVID. And um, we don't know yet why. And we don't yet know yet what to do about it. So we're still at the infancy, and I am just very cheered that we are from the very beginning actually believing that people have it, that in very other th- many other things like other viral illnesses that cause, say, um, chronic fatigue syndrome or fibromyalgia, we have discounted people or when people got um, uh, ex- uh, sick from exposure at the 9-11 World um, Trade Center site or from Agent Orange, we discounted that and said that they probably were just making it up. So I'm glad that we are taking it seriously and we are beginning to look at um, at the risk factors for it. Um, and then I wanted to quickly say we had there were two studies, one looking at cognitive uh, deficits, and that is way more common than we would like. They This was a study looking at people who had had a significant, uh, an intense um, intelligence test, and then correlated that, um, went back and looked at their COVID status. And what we think is that in this study, people had a cognitive decline, that is a decrease in their tests of cognitive, you know, intellect, and um, it was equivalent to um, aging for 10 years just by getting COVID. And then um, there was a study looking at the fact that um, people who get um, who get COVID are more likely to get autoantibodies. See if I can find. I am not finding that study. So what we know is what there is is there's a significant number of people who get COVID, and then at the end of COVID, they develop antibodies not to the virus but to their own bodies. And there's some concern that there's some thought that maybe that is what explains um, long COVID or part of it. And the fact that asthma was the only pre-existing condition, we know that asthma can have an autoimmune or inflammatory qualities may be a clue. But we are so early, it's like, you know, it's four o'clock in the morning and we think that what's over the east is maybe the sun coming up. So it is very early about that questions about that Mallory I don't think I have any off the top of my head but wow what 
what intense things to be on our minds today. <laughs> um, do you want to yeah. leave us with um, some of your more empowering messages of what we can well, do sure. moving well, forward? Because sure, the truth is that there are the fact that you are still alive means that the multitude of organisms that have been scheming uh, to take re- take uh, use of your resources since the day you were conceived have once again not been successful. So our bodies are uh, beautifully made and incredibly designed to resist all kinds of stresses, including the worries we have about various things like elections and such. It is a beautiful day, so get outside. Um, do uh, wash your hands, wear your mask, stay apart from people, uh, connect to people across a distance. Take your vitamin D, 2,000 international units a day, and uh, remember how well your body has resisted infection up until now. And uh, Wednesday, Jenny Chadwick and Mike Trapp will be on Community Pulse to talk about what election results we do or don't have. Yep. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Alleman. I appreciate it. You're welcome. It. Have thank a good you, day. Mallory. Bye. That's it for today's edition of Community Pulse. If you missed this program or want to share it with your friends, you can find it later today at KOPN.org and also on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Catch us again live on Wednesday at 9 a.m. with host Jenny Chadwick. And remember... I don't know who could forget, but tomorrow is election day and more information about your voting options can be found at vote.boonmo.org. Also, public service announcements or PSAs are a free community service provided by KOPN. We welcome the submission of PSAs that align with the interests and needs of our community, our listeners, and the common good. More information about submitting a PSA for air on KOPN can be found at kopn.org slash submit PSA. Thank you so much for tuning in to KOPN 89.5 FM. Between the Lines is up next. Stay tuned.